We did some background checking on that. Talked to epidemiology today. Tonight on the KRBD Evening Report. Is Ketchikan seeing community transmission of the coronavirus? Ketchikan's hospital prepares for a possible surge in patients. And Southeast King Salmon allocation is up this year. All that and more on tonight's KRBD Evening Report. First, though, let's take a look at the weather. Tonight, clear with lows around 30 and northwest winds to 10 miles an hour. Sunny tomorrow with highs around 40 and northwest winds to 10 miles an hour. Tomorrow night, mostly clear with lows around 30. You're listening to the KRBD Evening Report. I'm your host, Eric Stone. So far, at least 100 people in Ketchikan have been tested for the coronavirus. Of those, at least 13 have tested positive. Most of the cases are thought to stem from one or two people who brought the virus back from a trip. But has anyone tested positive without a clear sense of where they caught it? After someone tests positive for coronavirus, state health officials classify them in one of three ways. First, there's travel-related. That's when they believe they caught it while out of town. Pretty self-explanatory. If someone catches it from someone else who's tested positive, who they work with or live with, that's called close contact. But if someone hasn't recently traveled out of state or been in close contact with someone known to have the virus, and thus officials can't pinpoint the source of the infection, the state calls it a non-travel case. The Centers for Disease Control call it community transmission or community spread. Why is that important? Because it means there are unknown contagious people infecting others within the town. And that makes it a lot harder to curb the virus's spread. Last Thursday, Alaska's state epidemiologist said in a release that state health officials had, quote, convincing evidence of community transmission, end quote, in Ketchikan, Anchorage, and Fairbanks. But officials here in Ketchikan disagreed. According to their tracking, everyone who'd been diagnosed with COVID-19 in Ketchikan had either recently traveled out of state or been in contact with someone who had. So who's right? Well, it comes down to a single case. And so we did some background checking on that, talked to epidemiology today. That's Abner Hogue. He's in charge of Ketchikan's response to the COVID-19 pandemic. The difference in the reporting has to do with the way that their contact investigation and follow-up goes. Here's what happened. One person who tested positive, let's call them Alex, was in direct contact with another confirmed case. Let's call that person Barbara. Alex and Barbara worked in the same building and frequently saw each other. So? Um, Initially, they attributed this case to, um, to a close contact. But during state public health officials' follow-up investigation, they discovered that Alex couldn't have caught it from coworker Barbara. The dates didn't match up. So it, it may appear that he is part of the cluster, but the timing of onset uh, means that he isn't. So where did Alex catch the coronavirus? His most likely source appears to be another coworker who is symptomatic early. And that person was a roommate or close friend and had been traveling internationally. Let's call Alex's roommate or close friend Charlie. Hogue says Charlie had the symptoms of COVID-19, but he couldn't get tested. A shortage of test kits meant that only people who fell under narrow criteria were tested. And Charlie didn't qualify. So while health officials think Alex probably caught the virus from his roommate Charlie, they don't know for sure because Charlie was never tested. Right, because because you don't have the um, 100% confirmation that 
where we think it came from actually is where it came from. And that means Ketchikan has seen its first case of community spread. But here's the good news. Drastic measures aimed at curbing the spread of COVID-19 in Ketchikan appear to be showing some early success. As of Tuesday at 5, Ketchikan has seen 13 people test positive for the coronavirus, with no cases added to the tally since Saturday. Authorities say nine of those 13 have recovered, leaving only four active cases. So maybe all that hunker-down stuff is working. Emergency Operations Center Chief Abner Hogue thinks so. And we thank everyone for the work that they're doing and the sacrifices they're making. But now's not the time to, to let up on that. Now's the time to double down on that. Hogue cautions that Ketchikan's testing capacity is still limited, and that makes it difficult to track the virus. But there is good news on that front, too. More kits are on the way. Hogue says that local authorities have about 160 test kits, with 100 more expected in the coming days. And another 600 are scheduled to be delivered within the next couple of weeks. Hogue says more people should qualify for tests. And beyond that, Peace Health Ketchikan's Peter Rice says the hospital recently received a newly developed rapid testing platform from diagnostic manufacturer Quigen. Uh, that will allow us here to run the COVID test ourselves, and that will have a turnaround time of about two hours. That'll allow doctors to make informed decisions about how to treat and isolate each patient before they get a chance to infect others in the community. At this point, Peace Health says they're just waiting for the reagents to get started. Ketchikan's hospital is gearing up to fight a possible surge of coronavirus cases. Administrators at Peace Health Ketchikan Medical Center say they can now accept nine COVID-19 patients at a time in an isolation ward designed to keep the virus from spreading. And so far, that's been sufficient. Peace Health Infectious Disease Specialist Catherine Burnham says only one patient has been hospitalized in Ketchikan so far. Um, so I think right now we are doing great with the capacity that we have, but we have the capacity also to expand quite a bit as we need to. But she says the hospital could raise the number of COVID-19 beds from 9 to 25 fairly quickly. And if those start to fill up, Burnham says that other hospital wards could be repurposed in a matter of days. That would bring the total to 47 beds for patients infected with coronavirus. So we uh, definitely have the capacity to expand uh, the number of beds we need as the surge that's anticipated comes to us. Right now, those isolation beds are empty. Burnham says that as of Tuesday morning, Peace Health Ketchikan doesn't have any patients that have tested positive for coronavirus. And since the outbreak reached Ketchikan in mid-March, officials say only one patient has required hospital care. But that leaves the question of staffing, even if the hospital has plenty of equipment to handle an influx of patients who would staff them. Peace Health Ketchikan Medical Director Peter Rice says the hospital could reassign some staff. We have plenty of doctors who have previously worked, previously worked in the hospital, um, poised and ready to join the hospitalists on the inpatient side as needed. Nurses from the Peace Health Clinic could also be reassigned to the hospital. Rice says specialist doctors like anesthesiologists are also ready to help COVID-19 patients. That's because the state restricted elective surgeries earlier this month. Rice says Peace Health Ketchikan is also asking its Washington state-based parent organization for additional respiratory therapists. Those are specialists who help people with breathing issues common with COVID-19. Beyond adding capacity, hospital officials say they're also trying to simply keep as many people as possible out of the hospital. They're offering telemedicine, limiting visitors, and stepping up home treatment for things like physical and occupational therapy. As of Tuesday at noon, 13 people have tested positive for the coronavirus since Ketchikan's first case was announced on March 17th. 
There are a few signs of a little improvement in king salmon numbers in southeast Alaska. A fairly strong winter harvest means salmon fishermen can target more fish this summer. First off, the catch for the winter commercial troll season ended up over 15,000 fish when the season closed on March 15th. That's up around 3,000 Chinook from each of the last two years. Grant Hagerman is regional troll management biologist for the Alaska Department of Fish and Game. He says the number of trollers out fishing was up from last year and nearly on par with the year before. It varied a little bit. You know, of course, in winter, it's the weather's pretty foul and, and uh, you know, it, it can fluctuate quite a bit with how much these guys can get out and fish. But this year, the prices were, were very good. Um, they started out the season at you know around twelve dollars a pound. It didn't change too much. It's it stayed around twelve dollars for most of the season, um, and I believe we ended at about twelve fifty or so. Um, so so very good. So regardless of whether the weather was bad or fishing was slow, that's a high enough price to at least draw a few guys out. It was the third year that the winter season was shortened because of conservation concerns. In southeast, winter troll catch rates in the early season near Sitka are used to determine the allowable catch for all gear groups in the summer fishing season. Those catch rates were better this winter, and that means a total of 201,100 fish for all gear groups in the region. Hagerman says that's up around 65,000 kings from last year. 65,000 fish is a fair amount of fish. For for the trollers, that translates into just over 47,000 fish. So, you know, some of these years, uh, translating that into days fished in the summer, you could be looking at another two or three days, maybe even four of Chinook retention. So that's that's good news. Still, it's not all good news. Despite the overall increase, commercial and sport fisheries in Southeast will continue to see restrictions to limit the harvest on wild stock kings returning to Alaska's rivers. The region has three rivers that are listed as stocks of concern, the Chilcot River near Haines, King Salmon River south of Juneau, and the Eunuch River near Ketchikan. Other King Salmon runs don't have that designation, but also have been at historically low levels in recent years. Hagerman says some King Salmon returns have been meeting goals for escapement or fish returning to spawn. And compared to 2018, just overall in general, uh, the escapements for some of the other systems that we monitor, we, we do have 11 systems that we monitor. And I believe, you know, four of the 11 had met goal in 2018, whereas seven of the 11 uh, met goal in 2019. So there were some improvements, but specifically for those stocks that concern, yeah, two of those three did did meet goal. Um, and for the Unic. I believe that was uh, several uh, consecutive years, uh, 2018 and 2019, and so that's definitely been an improvement there. Biologists believe restrictions on seasons and area for commercial and sport fisheries are making a difference for returns to southeast Alaska. Preseason forecasts on the Stikine River near Wrangell and the Taku River near Juneau are up a little from forecasts the year before. Commercial trolling for spring kings could start up in early May in some parts of southeast. That season targets hatchery chinook. A summer season starts in July. Now that people are hunkered down because of COVID-19, more people are buying groceries online and picking them up curbside or having them delivered outside their local store. But for those paying with federal assistance, the options for shopping this way are inconsistent. KTOO's Elizabeth Jenkins has more. 
Nicole Church's grocery shopping with two rambunctious five-year-old twin boys was a challenge before the coronavirus. So that's under normal circumstances. And under these circumstances, it's even more stressful. Um, they're always touching things and putting their mouths on the counters. So I decided that that's not going to happen while we're hunkering down. Running low on milk and other groceries, Church decided to use Instacart to order her groceries online and have them delivered from Juno's Costco. But when she tried to check out, she realized she couldn't use her benefit card on Instacart's payment page. The only option to pay is using Apple Pay. On its website, Instacart says it accepts credit and debit cards. But you can't pay with federal assistance programs like SNAP or WIC. That's left Church wondering what her options are for grocery shopping safely during the pandemic. She's a single parent and says finding someone to watch her children can be difficult. I mean, we can't be left in the dust because it's challenging to put that system in place. We really need to be thought of in this time. Right now, there's not a consistent framework for people paying for online orders with federal assistance. And grocery stores are individually responsible for figuring it out. Other big box stores in Juneau, like Fred Meyer, can't accept online orders purchased with federal assistance either. The only thing that I can think of is maybe that their website isn't set up to process those kind of payments. Vanessa Cropley is a manager at Foodland IGA. Foodland doesn't even have an online ordering system. Cropley and her husband are fulfilling orders for curbside pickup the old school way. They're communicating with customers directly, checking emails and having conversations over the phone. They're basically being personal shoppers for their customers. So far, they haven't done the shopping for anyone paying with federal assistance programs yet, but they welcome it. We're all going to figure this out together. There's no way that we can't figure this out without one another. The Super Bear IGA store in Juneau can take online payments with SNAP, but not WIC, so customers using SNAP benefits can use curbside pickup there. As for Church, she says a friend recently picked up her groceries, but she hopes a wider array of stores implement a way for people on federal assistance to get their shopping done while practicing social distancing. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Elizabeth Jenkins. That's it for tonight's KRBD Evening Report. Thanks so much for listening. I've been your host, Eric Stone.